When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, tech fans, and welcome into the latest Tech Sideline podcast, leading things off with The Night We Met by Lord Huron, Will's Song of the Week from last week's podcast. The TSL podcast originating each and every week here in the Tech Sideline offices in Blacksburg. I'm your proud host, Evan Hughes, pleased to be joined, as always, by Tech Sideline founder, Will Stewart, managing editor, Chris Coleman. Gentlemen, how are we doing this week? I'm doing very well. I'm It's an exciting week. We've got coming off a big win. you got Notre Dame coming in the house. The Braves are in the playoffs. I mean, it's, it's going to be an exciting this week. This is a big week I'm for Chris busy. Coleman. If it we is. can detail, we're recording this on, a, on Wednesday afternoon, what does your week of sports look like through Sunday? Well, actually, we're recording this. I'm a Premier League fan, and my team is playing Barcelona this afternoon. So it starts actually this afternoon. And then uh, there's a playoff. Braves play in the playoffs Thursday night. They play it Friday night. They take Saturday off so I can watch Virginia Tech, Notre Dame, and then they're back it's to very playoff baseball on Sunday. It was very nice of them, wasn't it? Yeah. So there's a big sporting event for me every day between now and Sunday. Best of luck to your Braves. Thank Will Stewart, how are you? It. I'm doing fine. I don't have quite the illustrious sports week lined up. Um, I'm coming off a butt-whipping by the Dolphins of the – by the New England Patriots of the Miami Dolphins. I mean, I, I had no preconceptions going into that. I know how New England and Miami roll. Every once in a while, Miami flares up and gets crazy and beats them. But for the most part, it's a, a regular stomping, you know. And I'm a Mets fan, so that's over with. So I guess they've got a pitcher who might win the Cy Young. That would be awesome. As you should. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my week. I'm definitely looking forward to Notre Dame and Virginia Tech. So – a, uh, a few notes before we launch into the meat of this podcast. We have a new recorder this week. Um, we've been having ongoing difficulties with getting Chris to sound right. So I ordered a new recorder that, you know, I won't bore you with the details, but it takes separate mic inputs. We've been working with the recording levels before we go air quotes on the air. Everything looks good on our end. So we'll see how this one comes out. Give us your feedback. Let us know how it sounds, how you're listening to it and all that. And, uh, you know, we'll keep working on it, but we we did shell out three hundred bucks for a new recorder to you know try to get things to sound better. So, so at least tell us that it sounds good, even if it doesn't. That's right. Just make it up. Just make us feel better. All right. We do have to look at Will's Twitter bio of what his song lyric is for this week. Of course, we'll get that at the end of the podcast. It reads: Somewhere in America, there's a street named after my dad. And that is sorry, Chris. We're going back to the late '80s for that one. We got so close to where Will, um, excuse me, Chris wanted to go, and now, now we go back to the 80s. <laughs> so I'm still looking forward to the day where I'm able to recognize 
that song lyric. Well, we've got a lot to talk about on the Tech Sideline podcast this week. We're going to recap Virginia Tech's second win over a ranked opponent this year, a 31-14 victory over 22nd-ranked Duke at Wallace Wade Stadium. We'll get into that. And, of course, we're going to spend the majority of this podcast getting ready for the number 6 Notre Dame Fighting Irish kickoff set at 8 o'clock p.m. in Lane Stadium, Tech and Notre Dame going at it for the second time in the last three years. First time in Lane Stadium. We'll get Will and Chris their thoughts on the big matchup this weekend. And plus, we have your questions. We have the most questions for any mailbag we've had for any podcast this year. Six questions to get to. We'll get to those at the end of the podcast. But first, gentlemen, before we put Duke in the rearview mirror, we have to recap what was a great bounce-back win for Virginia Tech. Chris, what stood out to you most, and how pleased were you with Virginia Tech's response? I thought, to me, uh, it was their defensive performance. Um, their tackling was a lot more crisp. They were more physical in the trenches. Uh, as 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 bad as everybody, as bad as the past defense was last week, and as as much as anybody, everybody wants to rip the secondary. Um, I was more disappointed in their tackling around the line of scrimmage and how Old Dominion just kind of manhandled them, um, and they didn't let themselves be manhandled against Duke. It's 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 embarrassing when you get manhandled on television like that, and a lot of people are watching. Um, so. And it, sometimes it could be tough to bounce back from mentally, but they did it against Duke. They had a much more uh, manly performance, so to speak, in the trenches. Will, you saw it in person. What were your thoughts? Well, let's let's add the caveat that, um, you know, and I wrote this in my article, and, and Chris would agree to this because he put it in his article as well. For, for me, although Virginia played a lot better, um, I think that it really came down to the fact that Tech's quarterback and wide receivers made plays and Duke's quarterback and wide receivers did not make plays. Uh, both uh, sets of players for each team were presented with difficult opportunities. Um, there were a couple passes where Daniel Jones threw down the field to Taylor. I can't remember Taylor's first name for Duke. and They weren't the greatest passes, but they were catchable, and he didn't catch them. And there were a couple instances where uh, Ryan Willis threw some uh, he threw some beautiful passes, like the one to Damon Hazelton for the touchdown. That was not a hard catch. That was a beautifully thrown ball. Um, but there were a couple other ones where, you know, uh, uh, Eric Kuma in particular went up and got one. Trey Turner went up and got one. Tech was making plays. Neither team ran the ball very well. That was a pretty even game if you look at it. Look at the time of possession, the statistics, number of plays, number of first downs. Look at all that stuff. That game was pretty even. It's just Tech made plays and Duke didn't. Sometimes football is not all that difficult. I think fans have a tendency to overcomplicate things when it comes to X's and O's and and, and coaching mistakes and things like that. And sometimes football is just a matter of looking at the other team and saying, oh, look, their cornerbacks are 5'10 and 5'11 and they're a freshman and a sophomore. Our receivers are giant. You know, Let, let's throw up jump balls because we know we're going to have a lot of man coverage. And that's basically what it was the other, the other day. That was the right strategy. And it was, it was like, to a certain extent, it was like Pitt in 2016. At, at that point, that's what you can do. That's what the defense gives you, and it's up to your players to make plays at that point. And this time around, Virginia Tech's players made plays, and it's it's been a long time since we've seen Virginia Tech's receivers make that many plays on a consistent basis for their quarterback. Who made the bigger statement with the win over Duke? Was it the offense coming off a week of preparation in the first one with Ryan Willis as QB1 taking over for Josh Jackson, or was it the defense after allowing 49 points to Old Dominion? I certainly think it was the defense. Um the offense, you know, even with a new quarterback, 
I was confident in the offense. I mean, they, they put up 600 yards against ODU. Yeah, it wasn't a perfect performance, but, you know, I, I think they those guys rank in the top 25 or so in offensive efficiency. I mean, they, they've been good this year. Uh, the defense's performance, quite frankly, was embarrassing. I mean, when you give up the most yards you've ever given up, if you're Bud Foster, I mean, that's that's the most yards – anybody's ever had against a Bud Foster defense. I mean, that is that is flat-out embarrassing. So, yeah, it was. I think it was a statement game for the defense, much more so than offense. I think that uh, talking about the defense, um, if, if you want to talk about who made a statement on the offense, it was clearly Ryan Willis. The Virginia Tech running game didn't make, didn't make any sort of statement. Receivers played well, did a good job. Uh, but Ryan Willis was the guy that – you know, we, we've been led to believe that he's got some talent, but that he's turnover prone. And I don't remember thinking at any point in the game, whoa, he almost threw an interception there. Yeah, I never felt unsafe in, yeah. the, in the game with him at quarterback. Yeah, so this is, this is not something that's being talked about a lot this week. It's being talked about a little, but I think it's going to become an ongoing story the more that Willis plays and the more game film we have to look at and the more performances we have to evaluate. Um, is he one of those guys that is more of a gamer than a practice player? Really, what's really at risk in practice? Um, starting position is at risk, but as somebody on our message board said, you throw an interception in practice and, yeah, it looks bad, but it doesn't really cost you anything. It doesn't, doesn't hang an L on your schedule. So some guys are just gamers, and, and that's something to watch going forward. But Old. Old school tech fans will remember back to 1995 in the Jim Druckenmiller Al Clark competition. Uh, Evan, I know you don't remember this, but uh, <laughs> Jim Druckenmiller was a first round pick by Virginia Tech. But before he was a first round pick, heading into his redshirt junior year, he had to beat out redshirt freshman Al Clark for the starting job. And that battle was neck and neck. And then Al Clark sprained his ankle, got hurt, and couldn't practice. So Druckenmiller kind of won the job by default. He wasn't a very good practice player. Yeah, turned out to be a very good game player. When the, I think Frank Beamer called him a lights on player. When the lights came on, he was ready to go. There, there, were, there was some story about Druckenmiller one day in Pascal's, you know, where there isn't even any defense, just throwing seven or eight straight incompletions, you know, and that was not the kind of thing you saw in games. I might not have been alive in 1995, but I do <laughs> know that Jim Druckenmiller did engineer one of the greatest tech comebacks that uh, the great Bill Roth has ever seen and many of Tech fans have ever seen. That's one of my favorite calls of Bill's and watching the highlights of it. It is on YouTube. But uh, I do want to talk a little bit more about Ryan Wills. He did take home ACC quarterback of the week honors. He threw for over 300 yards. He had three passing touchdowns. And to go back to what you said, there just wasn't a moment that he looked uncomfortable out there against a top 25 team in Duke. I wasn't surprised. I mean, I go back to, and I've put these stats in articles before, and I don't have all the stats in my head right now, but I've I've looked up every single starting quarterback under Justin Fuente, and they've all been good. They've all been able to limit their turnovers and things like that. Even even the starter at Memphis in Fuente's first year, I think his name was Jacob Karam or something like that, he only threw three picks that year. Um, now, he had no talent around him, and he wasn't a particularly talented player himself. In fact, he got replaced the next year by Paxton Lynch, who was a redshirt freshman, but he only threw three picks. Like, Fuente got the most you could get out of that guy. And I think he's always gotten the most you could get out of his quarterbacks, and I think he'll get the most he can get out of Ryan Willis. I don't, we'll see how good that is. Um, we don't know yet. I mean, I know the longer you watch someone, the longer you're around someone, uh, the more warts you notice, so to speak. You know, we, we don't have a full scouting report on Ryan Willis. Maybe he does throw a bunch of picks. 
Maybe, maybe he'll throw a bunch of picks this week. I don't know. He didn't this past week. But, uh, you know, it was a good first start, obviously. Uh, but I, I never lacked confidence in him. I thought he always had the ability, and I always trusted the staff to put him in a good position to succeed. And I was hoping they would let him be aggressive because he's a, he's a big 12 quarterback, man. Him and Michael Brewer, they're, they're similar guys, uh, except for the fact that Willis has a much bigger arm and he's a bigger guy. But their mentality is the same and that they're, they come from an area of the country where – Quarterbacks are just gunslingers, man. They're aggressive. They like to go downfield and things like that. And uh, that's what they let Willis do, and his receivers may play for him. Well, sometimes you see quarterbacks and wide receivers especially struggle in the chemistry department in a sense of they just haven't had enough time to practice with one another. However, Willis stepped right in. It seemed like he was on the same page with the receiving core right from the start. He he seems to really like Dalton Keene in particular. You know, I, I kept – I kept asking the question, not so much publicly, but of myself. When, when is the when is the H back slash tight end passing game going to get to be a thing? And uh, since Josh Jackson went out in the late third, early fourth quarter against ODU, Keen had one catch before then, and he's had again. I can't remember stats off the top of my head. I think three or four catches since then. Three, I think, since then. Yeah, for a hundred yards and a touchdown, and and it, it it'll be interesting to see what happens moving forward. Uh, it, he may just be one of those guys that Willis looks for. Um, actually, I think he looks for everybody, you know. Uh, the one, one play that got a little bit of play on our message boards, and I actually put a, uh, a, a video of it on YouTube. So if you go to youtube.com slash techsideline, look for the uh, swing pass that Willis threw to uh, Stephen Peoples out of the backfield. Willis is backing up. And there's a pretty stout rush. I don't think there's anything coming up the middle, but there's guys coming from both ends. He's backing up, and he just flicks it out there, and it is in stride perfect. Some guys can do that stuff. Some guys, I don't, you know, I don't know a heck of a lot about playing the quarterback position, so I'm always kind of looking at guys' feet, and I'm saying things like, well, his feet weren't set. That doesn't bother some guys. It didn't bother Ryan Willis the other night. You if you've know, got again, a big-time arm, it doesn't matter. Aaron Rodgers has got some of the worst technique I've ever seen <laughs> in some of his throws, and that guy can throw it a mile. Just uh, but it, it's, it's but it's not about the strength. If you go and look at the pass to uh, Damon Hazelton, that that fade route that he caught right right there at the corner and went right into the end zone, um, Willis doesn't spend a whole lot of time setting his feet. His technique's decent, but that ball is it's it's a spiral. It's just soft as Charmin, and it just drops right in there, you know. And he, he seems to have a knack for that, so we'll see how it looks going forward. And it's definitely a play call that Virginia Tech likes to call a lot, and it's been uh, it's had a lot of great success since Coach Fuente and Cornelson have gotten here. But that, that fade into the end zone really worked a couple of times, not even just the end zone, but that was a play that as the game progressed, they could rely on Willis to make it happen every single time. And you, it was obvious the one to Phil Patterson was coming. I was sitting there in my seats, and I saw how Duke lined up, and I'm like, that's single coverage. They're going to throw it right up to that wide receiver. I couldn't tell who it was because I was on the opposite end of the field, but I was like, they're going to throw it up to that guy right now. And sure enough, they did. And you got to have players who can make catches like that. And he did, and, and you know, the Duke's player's helmet came off in the process and <laughs> committed pass interference. It was just all sorts of an embarrassment for that Duke cornerback right there. Uh you know, not that that game was as bad for the Duke cornerbacks as the Old Dominion game was bad for Tex cornerbacks, but in a, it was in a similar vein. Two very, very young players got, got exposed. And Duke's all-ACC cornerback, I forget his name, got, got hurt early in the season, and he's out. And that's a big loss, just like Jeremy Webb, who was projected to be a starter for Virginia Tech, ruptured his Achilles over the summer, and he's out. And how Adonis Alexander, who's supposed to be a starting cornerback for Virginia Tech, didn't have the grades to return. 
So uh, sometimes you're only as good as your backups. And let's face it, Virginia Tech is probably starting to back up cornerbacks this year. That's a good point. You know, you can sit there and stick your chest out and say, next man up all you want to. But if you've got Adonis Alexander and Jeremy Webb, does Old Dominion happen? I mean, Adonis Alexander's in, in the NFL right now. He's guarding NFL wide receivers right now. You know, I, I certainly don't think Virginia Tech would have lost Old Dominion if they had him. I, I don't think that would have happened. Um, and then, you know, Mook Reynolds is obviously uh, missing as, as well. So, yeah, the whole next man up concept, I think that's the attitude you approach it with if you're a coach and a player. But honestly, the next man up is generally the next man up because he's not as good. That's just the way it is. There's a reason he's the backup. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Continuing on with the defense, I do want to get your thoughts. It was, it was game one without Trayvon Hill, and I want to get your thoughts on Emmanuel Belmar and a couple others on the defensive line. Again, the defense collectively only held Duke, a top 25 team, to 14 points at home. So I think if you're Coach Foster, you have to be really pleased. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I thought he came up with a good game plan, dropping those ends, uh, cutting down on the passing lanes for, for Patrick Jones. Um, because I didn't expect Patrick Jones to play, quite honest. Daniel. Daniel Jones. Why don't I Who's him? Patrick Jones? Is that a baseball player or something? No, I, I, no well, one knew I, it's a well, baseball I, player. I keep calling Ryan Willis Patrick Willis. <laughs> like the old, P. Willie, the, the old, uh, the old linebacker, 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 right? Exactly. Yeah. So, I don't know. Everybody's Patrick to me this week. See, Chris is getting to that age where he's, 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 he's got a few more names crammed into his head <laughs> now, man. You just so wait 10 more years. Out. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Daniel Jones. I forgot your question, though. Just <laughs> how, how, grading the defensive line oh, in game yeah, one uh, okay. after Trayvon yeah. Hill. Well, I thought the, the game plan was good, but they were really able to shut down the Duke running game with, with three guys for, for part of the night while they were dropping a defensive end in coverage and things like that. And uh, a guy like Belmore, he's never going to be some kind of big sack guy for Virginia Tech. Uh, he's, a Vinny, he's, a smaller, he's a smaller Vinny Mahota type. Um, he's going to be a gap sound player, pretty strong at the point of attack, but he's not going to be a dynamic pass rusher. Uh, Gaines is Virginia Tech's best pass rusher right now. Um, and he got two and a half sacks, even though he spent, seemed like, half the game dropping back into coverage. So uh, I thought it was a, success, a successful first game uh, without Trevon Hill. But we will see some issues down the line. Um, there will be games where – Tech just doesn't get much pressure at all, and you're going to be like, ugh, really? Wish yeah, we so, had so Hill. Let, me, let me speak to that a little bit. Uh, the thing about, you know, Daniel Jones is a, is a dangerous runner, and he was not running the other night. Um, he, had, he had six rushes, quote-unquote. Three of those were sacks, so he really only had three runs, and two of those came in the first quarter, and they were Jones running outside and running to the sideline because of that uh, collarbone injury. Um, they did not run him up the middle. He was not part of – of the offense from a running standpoint. And he did not do a particularly stellar job throwing the football. His completion percentage was good, but, uh, you know, a couple times he had his guys open deep and he didn't hit them. So the difference this week is um, I think uh, Ian Book is I, – I have not had a chance to watch Notre Dame film, but I've seen a few clips of Book running. And that's going to be a problem. You know, if Tech – let's say they do the three-man defensive front, they drop eight guys into coverage – and Book decides to run. Now it comes down to just making tackles in the open field. Have you got the right matchup? I don't like Book against Dylan Rivers. I do like Book trying to get somewhere against Reggie Floyd or Khalil Ladler or even Javon Quillen, you know, who had a really good night tackling in the open field. So, uh, yeah, good effort against Duke, but I don't think Duke brought everything to bear that certainly not that Notre Dame's going to bring to bear. 
before we turn the page and get to Notre Dame, because that is what we are going to spend the majority of the time talking about on the podcast this week. You both were at Duke, and one thing that Coach Fuente talked about at Tech Talk Live was how uh, proud and excited he was to see the crowd that Virginia Tech still brought coming off a difficult week against Old Dominion. What was the vibe like at Wallace Wade Stadium, and how how many Hokies really were in the stadium? Uh, you know, I think I got there maybe around four hours before kickoff three hours before kickoff, something like that. And before we went to our tailgate, um, I, we parked, and I, I literally think the first seven or eight people I saw around in the general area were Virginia Tech fans. Yeah. I think I maybe had to walk ten, ten minutes or so before I saw a Duke fan. So they were late arriving, and they were early leaving. And for Virginia Tech, for that many Virginia Tech fans to pile in a stadium like that, it means the home team crowd wasn't buying tickets. And that was a top 25 Duke team. And, uh, you know, I feel bad for their players at this point. And I know there's not a ton of Duke alums because it's a smaller school per se, and a lot of their alums aren't based necessarily in the state of North Carolina. But those are cheap tickets to Duke games, and that's a big metro area down there. There, There's enough people down there to fill that small 35,000, 40,000. They're up to 40 now, I think, since they redid it. Yeah. Um, There's enough people to fill that stadium in that area because of the cheap price of tickets, but there's just no interest in the program for whatever reason. So Virginia Tech is 7-0 and at Duke since uh, joining the ACC. Um, the, the previous four were all one-score games. This is the first one in a while that was more than one score. Um, it's the first time I'd ever been down there. It's an easy drive. Um, I would recommend that Virginia Tech fans, if, if, you, if you can travel, on the weekend and go see a Virginia Tech game. Think of this as a Virginia Tech home game. Mm-hmm. There's plenty of tickets. It's for a lot of the fans in, in the state of Virginia. It's probably closer than Blacksburg is. So start start thinking about it in terms of that. Uh, oh, they're at Duke. I'm not going. No, give it a try. Um, the, there's so much uh, parking space that's free, fairly close to the stadium. There's easy to plenty. get in and out because there's nobody there. Yeah, there's there's plenty of tickets. I mean, think of this thing as a Virginia Tech home game. Give it a shot. Go. You'll have a good time. I mean, I was in back in Raleigh where I stayed probably an hour after the game ended. I mean, it's just so easy to get in and out. Uh, and uh, it's a good experience just from that standpoint to go to a, to a major college football game without dealing with traffic and things like that. Yeah. Before we get to Notre Dame, it is time to remind you that each and every Tech Sideline podcast is proudly presented by the Fisher Law Firm, Virginia's trusted DUI and traffic defense firm dedicated to defending individuals charged with traffic-related offenses. From their offices in Blacksburg and Roanoke, the Fisher Law Firm handles cases throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia. To date, the firm has defended more than 15,000 people charged with moving violations. For a free consultation, call anytime, day or evening, toll-free at 1-800-680-7031 or email us at info at fisherlegal.com. So the last two years, Virginia Tech fans have been really, really uh, excited to have two marquee matchups on the schedule at home. And there are a couple other this season. But to have Clemson, the defending national champions, come in last year and then this year, it's a little bit of a different vibe in a sense of this is Notre Dame, the storied Notre Dame coming into Blacksburg for the first time ever. It, it has a different feel than it would an ACC game, but what an opportunity uh, Virginia Tech has to play such an opponent like Notre Dame at home this weekend. What are your thoughts? So uh, was it 2015 where they opened with Ohio State? At yeah, home, so, yes. So Ohio State had just won a national championship the year before. 
Um, Clemson had, I guess, just won the national championship the year before when they came in. And those were really stout challenges. You know, I, I did not like Virginia Tech's chances going in. I don't really know how I feel about the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame's ranked six in the country, but they haven't been as dominant as those two programs had previously been before coming in. Um, I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about what I'm about to say next, and, and it's time for Virginia Tech to win one of these things. ESPN likes to come in here, and, and ABC likes to come in here and show Inner Sandman its great college football theater, but Virginia Tech has not beaten a ranked opponent in Lane Stadium since 2009, I believe is, is the statistic. Now, I get it during Frank Beamer's later years, you know, the, the ta- talent level was down, the program wasn't doing as well, but... And, and, I, and I'm not one of those guys to say, oh, it's time for a breakthrough victory. They have to do it now. Um, that flies in the face of what I said earlier in the season, that this is a really young team, and I actually think it's going to be uh, – uh, I, I can never find the right words. Record-wise, it might be a step down from the last two years and a step down from the next two years. In other words, the program might be – if I use the phrase bottoming out, people, that sounds bad. I just mean from a record standpoint. I think the talent's there, but they're just young. So they don't necessarily have to have this one, but it sure would be nice, you know, to really have a good showing in a a big high-profile game like this. Yeah, I agree with all that. And, you know, in that span of, you know, a decade when Virginia Tech hasn't beaten a top 25 team at home, they've beaten a bunch of top 25 teams on the road. Um, Let me read off that stat really quickly that my friend Craig Robertson at the University of Alabama tweeted out earlier in the week. The Hokies haven't been a top 25 team at Lane Stadium since 2009. They are 0-6 since and are outscored by an average of 10.5 points. However, in that span from 9 to today, Virginia Tech has beaten 10 top 25 teams in true road games by an average of 17 and a half points. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you, have, you have to take some of that with a grain of salt because included in that is this year's Florida State win. That's clearly not a top 25 team. We're talking top 25 team at, on the day the game was played. Yeah. Um, so you have to take that with a little bit of a grain of salt. Um, but, yeah, I there was an issue at the end of the Beamer era where Virginia Tech just wasn't beating Power 5 conference teams at home. You know, they would beat William and Mary and, you know, Appalachian State, Appalachian State and people like that. Marshall. Whoever they brought in. Yeah. But, you know, they, and were, East Carolina. they were losing to Boston College and Georgia Tech and, 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 yeah, even East Carolina and teams like that at home. And I kept writing. It seemed like I was writing this every week. Like, look, at some point the fan base is going to check out. They're going to quit driving all the way from the 757 to watch you play a home game when you're just losing every time they, they, show, they show up. So, yeah, you've got you've to hold up your end of the bargain at home. Now, Virginia Tech has been able to do that under Justin Fuente. They've been a much better home football team under Fuente uh, than they were in the latter stages of, of the Beamer era. But they haven't had a breakthrough win at home. Now, to be fair, they only had one opportunity, and that was Clemson. And that was an awful matchup. There was, the Tech played well in that game. Clemson was just way better on the defensive line. And Clemson does that to just about everybody they play. Yeah. Um, it's just, and it was just a bad matchup. Uh, and what worries me this year is is that Tech's just too young. I mean, Notre Dame's a very experienced football team. And then Tech won't have an opportunity at home next year when I think they'll be old enough to win a game like this uh, because the home schedule's awful. And, you know, I don't know. So it, it'll feed into the narrative. If you lose this one, well, they got Miami later on in the year, and we'll see where Miami winds up true. when that game That's starts. True. Um, so uh, – 
here's here's a here's a theory and i don't want to be an apologist but i think this has some credence to it when you have a good home environment like virginia tech does it fires up the visiting team this whole thing of oh we're so loud inner sandman we're going to intimidate them no no football players love playing in those environments Mm -hmm. notre dame's been to a bunch of those environments they're not going to be intimidated and I would, I would posit that Duke would have played better last weekend if the game had actually been in Lane Stadium. Here they are, they're 4-0, they're number 23 in the country or whatever. They run out onto the field, and their side of the stands is half full. And out of the 50%, a bunch of them are Virginia Tech fans. That just doesn't get you fired up. I bet they would have played better in Lane Stadium because the crowd would have been better. Yeah, I think so. Uh, my favorite place that I ever played in high school was Brookville High School, and that was because it was the best atmosphere. They had cowbells. They were in Cowboys. It was like it was like being at a small Mississippi State game, and that was on the road. But it was my favorite place. Um, so yeah, it could be a similar for a college player. Uh, now Notre Dame is Notre Dame is used to playing in front of big crowds, but a lot of those Big Ten stadiums, you know, like Notre Dame Stadium itself, it's these wide, expansive, cavernous stadiums. Uh, it doesn't have the it's not as steep as Lane Stadium. So Lane Stadium will, will be louder than they're used to playing in, but. It's not going to intimidate them. I mean, these are grown men. They're, they're, they're college. They're football players. They're not scared. And I think you know. And I think that's right. However, if you look at this Notre Dame team this year, this is their first true road test. It is. You beat Michigan at home. You beat Stanford at home. You go on the road to Wake Forest, and you're right. They play in front of massive crowds at home every single week. I don't think it'll intimidate them. However, I do think that this will be the first time that maybe we'll see Notre Dame face adversity on the road in Correct. 2018. Yeah, because they certainly didn't face any at Wake Forest a couple of weeks ago. Um, and the, this will be Ian Book's first real start on the road. You know, Obviously, Wake Forest doesn't count because the crowd was probably 50% Notre Dame fans, and Wake's defense is just awful this year, quite frankly. Um, he came in in the fourth quarter of the Citrus Bowl, led them back against LSU on a neutral field. I think he started against UNC – last year and I don't, I don't remember if that game was on the road or at home well even if it was on the road it's at UNC it's UNC that doesn't count uh and then he's played at Wake Forest uh and you know those two places aren't Virginia Tech and, and I know Virginia Tech's record against top 25 teams at home since 2009 is not good obviously but you know that's mostly about look there was no way Virginia Tech a six and six Virginia Tech team in hindsight was going to beat number one Ohio State there was no way Virginia Tech was going to beat Clemson last year. Clemson was awesome, and they were an awful matchup problem. Uh, you know, there were games like that in there. And then, quite frankly, Virginia Tech just wasn't a very good team in, in, for a lot of those games. So they're 0-6 since 2009. Three of those losses to ranked teams were in 2015. Right. And, and that was a 6-6 and Virginia Tech team. Yeah, and didn't play well at home that year. They lost to Duke in overtime. They lost to UNC. I think that was that, overtime. That was an overtime in then Ohio State to start the season. Yeah. And, and that, NC, that UNC team was an 11-1 and team. Um, yeah, they were actually good there. Yeah, year. they made the ACC title games. Let's, let's take some time and look into Ian Book. And for those that have not been following Notre Dame football all that close, Notre Dame, of course, started the season with Brandon Wimbush, who's arguably one of their best runners. And that is saying a lot considering how strong their running back committee is. He's really a, a run quarterback who can also throw. They bring in Ian Book. And taking a look at his numbers, 52 of 70, extremely accurate and smart with the football 616 yards of the air and 10 total touchdowns with no interceptions and he has ran he's run the ball extremely well he almost reminds me of when you watch Aaron Rodgers people forget that he'll pick up 
30, 40, 50 yards of rushing per game because he'll tuck it and run it because of the way that he exactly he extends plays with his feet. So Ian Book is playing at a real high level, and I watched Notre Dame a lot at the beginning of the year just because my roommate's a huge Notre Dame fan. And I, you watch the tape. They are a different team with Ian Book in than Brandon Wimbush. No doubt about that. I mean, uh, Wimbush had one interception – or no, one touchdown, four interceptions, and was completing 55% of his passes wow. through three games. Wow. I mean, those are just awful numbers. And this was a four-star recruit, a top 100 prospect, right? And he's being replaced by a guy who's six foot, 203 pounds, and just your regular Joe Blow three-star recruit. Um but Book is just a more effective player right now. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers comparison is valid as far as his escapability and ability and his footwork. I mean, he's got some good feet in there. He keeps plays alive. He kind of he reminds me a lot of Michael Brewer from a size standpoint. He's about the same size. Brewer had some of the same escapability. Uh, but but yeah, I th- I think uh, he just seems like a gamer, man. Um, and now you look at him and you're and you wonder well, what in the heck was uh, Ryan Kelly thinking. Right. So what's up with opposing coaches not cooperating here? They replaced Malik Rozier down at Miami with a, with a quarterback who's probably better. <laughs> Brian Kelly replaces Wimbush with a quarterback who's better. Mm-hmm. You know, the, these coaches need to cooperate and keep playing those lousy quarterbacks so Virginia Tech can win some football games. Yeah, exactly right. Well, with Book as well, with Wimbush, he couldn't go under center at all. So what they did at the beginning of the year, they bring in Book in goal line situations so he could go under center. But I do think it'd be interesting to see. We really haven't seen Wimbush play at all. I wouldn't be surprised to see Wimbush maybe get a couple of snaps in a Wildcat setting uh, this week against Tech just because of how good of a runner he is. And if Book faces adversity early, it'll really be interesting to see how much uh, trust and confidence Brian Kelly has in Ian Book. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I don't know a lot about Wimbush other than his recruiting rankings and his stats from this year. Um I know that in their bowl game, I think they scored six points in the first three quarters and or something like that, and they brought in Book for the fourth quarter and went 14 of 19 with two touchdowns, and they mm-hmm. won. So and so it just looks like – I don't know, maybe he's not a good practice player. Maybe he's Jim's rucking player. <laughs> uh, Who are you talking about, uh, Book? Uh, Ian Book, yeah. yeah, yeah. Could, because that's the only way you can explain why he hasn't been starting because he's produced every time he's been in a game, even last year. Um, so I, I just think he's their guy going forward for sure. And, uh, you know, we could find Wimbush being one of those free agent quarterbacks, so to speak, in the offseason. <laughs> Another thing I think that deserves so much recognition is so much of the media has talked about Ian Book, and rightfully so. We just spent five, seven minutes talking about him. But this defense just shut down Bryce Love, who nearly won the Heisman a week ago. They also shut down Michigan and Shea Patterson, who was one of the more hyped-up quarterbacks coming into the season. What makes this defense so good for Notre Dame? I think they're really good up front. Jerry Tillery is a defensive tackle who had four sacks against Stanford. You don't see defensive ends or outside linebackers getting four sacks in a game these days. The game has changed so much. They have much more responsibilities these days. But you especially don't see defensive tackles getting four sacks. Um, J.C. Price had four sacks in that 95 game against Miami. Um, Man, Jerry Tillery is a really good player who might be a first-round pick. And honestly, that's where Virginia Tech has struggled the most running the football this year is in that, is in my opinion, guards, uh, specifically uh, center-right guard, that combination. Um, I I, I think – you know, they might have to do something different there, in in my opinion. So I think the last time we saw – saw a really top-notch defensive tackle coming here. It was Aaron Donald for Pitt. I would say the Clemson guys last year. Yeah, that's that's true, them too. But as far as one individual, though, 
Yeah, um, yeah Tillery, the, they're saying, could be a first-round pick. So probably what I'm thinking is the last time a guy came in here that wasn't that hyped that I didn't know he was that good. Right. I mean, everybody knows Clemson's good, but, right. man, Aaron Donald tore Tech up. He gave him a lot of trouble he in did, that game. Yeah, and uh, everybody knew Indomitian Sue was good back in 2009. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I'm telling you, Jerry Tillery is really good, and I know Tech fans don't know his name. I didn't know his name until I started researching this game because – I just don't get it. You don't get a chance to watch college football anymore when you're traveling to all these games and you're and and you're uh, going to tech games every Saturday. But uh, yeah, Tillery's very good, and he's the guy to watch for on Saturday because it's, it's really can, it's really tough when somebody blows your offense up from the middle. Oh, it's impossible to run an offense if your if your offensive line is on roller skates, basically. Yeah. And Virginia Tech fans know that probably better than any fan base in the country. Uh, and this Tech offensive line has obviously improved. Um, but I still think the center right guard is the weak spot. Um, I personally would move Chung back to center. For this game? For, honestly, I'd do it for every game. Yeah. And, I, and I would start either Planton or Lucita Smith at left guard. That, that's my personal opinion. Hmm. Again, this Notre Dame defense looked really strong against Stanford last week. I think it's definitely going to be a matchup. that we, So much respect and credit going to Book, but – I'm really interested to watch how this Notre Dame defense prepares for Virginia Tech. Let's talk about maybe the biggest news of the week, continuing on with our Notre Dame prep, and that is that the legendary coach, the man who built Virginia Tech into what it is, Coach Frank Beamer, is getting a statue that will be here in time for the Notre Dame game. And I want to give credit, first of all, to Virginia Tech for it feels like every time we've had a big game over the last couple of years at home, they've done a really nice job of preparing for the game. You look back to last year and the parachuters that were in and the fireworks to go along with Enter Sandman. But Coach Beamer getting a statue. I, I'm so happy that this is happening really so soon after his retirement. And I, I can't wait for that ceremony to take place. Both Will and Chris have smiles on their faces I, right I, now. I thought he said he didn't want a statue because they only make statues of dead guys or something like that. I think he did say that like around the end of his career. <laughs> he was like, oh, I don't want a statue. <laughs> so here we go. They're calling it a monument. You know, and one of the things I like about the press release is they said this is not going to be one of those things where he's up on a pedestal. It's going to be an approachable thing. So uh, I think that's a good idea. I think that embodies what Frank is all about. And people tell stories on our message boards all the time. Oh, yeah, I was out here doing such and such and saw Frank walk by. So I went over and talked to Frank and Frank's always very gracious, you know. And so uh, I've seen the little model of it and what it looks like. Um, I was in the Hokie Club offices the other day and they had a ton of boxes sitting around their office and I said what's that and they're like oh well that's the that's the uh little mini frank beamer monument that we're going to give away to some hokey club donors so i've seen it and yes it is very approachable i think people will be taking a lot of pictures with it i got two things to say about it. <laughs> uh, uh, first and foremost i wonder how frank feels about it i mean frank is a low-key don't look at me type of guy and now he's got his own monument i wonder if that feels awkward to him at any at any point uh, in the process, uh, probably a little bit. Number two, I think where they're putting it is is the right decision. They're not putting it front and center, right in front of Lane Stadium, like right behind the the fifty yard line of the of the West Stands or anything. They're yeah. putting it down in the corner in the John Moody Plaza, and it's not going to be a huge statue or any or anything like that. Um, uh, it's it's going to be more like one of those things you see when you're walking through the park. It's going to be more like. You know the bronze guy on the bench or something like that. You know, rather than uh, one of one of these huge oh look at me statues that you see. 
Um, so I think they handled it right from that perspective. My guess is it'll be life size. It won't be bigger than life. Won't be well. Certainly wouldn't be smaller than life. <laughs> and, and like the press release said, it won't be up on a pedestal. So Frank's five eight. He may not be five eight anymore because you shrink when you get older. But uh, you know, I'm 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 five eight. I'm guessing if if he's standing up straight, I'll be able to see eye to eye with him. One thing that I think is just so neat and that you don't get with any other team in the country and any other program really is just how it's been really neat to see Coach Beamer as a student personally walking around campus with his dog Hank and how he is still involved in the community and he's just still so approachable and still just so friendly as ever. I just don't think you get that with any other program. And it you, speaks you know volumes what? about Blacksburg. You don't. I, I saw him a couple weeks ago walking around with, with his dog and with John Blinn, his old director of football operations. And sure enough, he almost made it back to Merriman Center and somebody stopped him for a picture. Hey, if I was yeah. a retired millionaire, I'd be approachable too. I'd be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, I, yeah, Not so, to knock Frank. I'm just joking. But, but, but I mean, yeah. But a lot of people. I mean, Blacksburg to him is obviously home, right? Um, I mean, he he could live anywhere he wanted. He's got a lake house in Georgia. Why wouldn't you be at your lake house in, at this time of year? It's starting to get a, it's going to cool off here pretty soon in Blacksburg. I think it's time to hit the road to Georgia, right, and get it a little warmer weather. No, Frank's staying around in Blacksburg. Really is, really is neat. And I'm sure he's going to be there on Saturday and, and, and watching from afar. Uh, let's – Shift gears and go back uh, talking about this Notre Dame. Let's go keys to victory because we've talked about Virginia Tech against Duke. We've talked about some of the highlights for Notre Dame. Chris Coleman, if Virginia Tech wants to knock off Notre Dame, give me three keys. Yeah, I think they've got to defensively, they've got to stop the running game. Uh, Notre Dame's kind of an interesting story. They were using two running backs, and then one of them got hurt, and then they brought back a senior named Dexter Williams. And Dexter Williams missed the first four games of the season to an unspecified situation, which sounds like what you read between the lines was some sort of a suspension. This is a guy who never had more than 39 carries in his first three seasons. And in his first game of his senior season against Stanford, he went for 161 yards and averaged 7.7 yards per carry. Hmm. Um, I think Ian Book is a really good player, but I would also like to see him in a situation where the running game was shut down and he had to carry the offense by itself and complete third and eights and third and nines and things like that. Um, so to me, that's the key. Uh, offensively, it's the other way around. You know, Virginia Tech has to run the ball better than they did against Duke without going into great detail. You know, you can't rush for 60 yards against Notre Dame and, and expect to beat them, in my opinion. You know, you're going to have to go for over 100. It's not likely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's not likely. Never say never. Um, and win the turnover battle. Um, you know, I think Notre Dame is a better team than Virginia Tech. They're, they've got plenty of talent. They've got a first-round pick at defensive tackle, which is really where you want a first-round pick is a defensive tackle, man. Um, and, but they got experience, man. And I said last week, you know, Duke's got more experience than they do, but Notre Dame's Duke on steroids, is, you know, they're experienced and they're talented. Um, and Duke wasn't necessarily talented at, at all spots, and Notre Dame is. Uh, you know, they got Troy Pride at cornerback, who I think is a good player. He's a former Virginia Tech commit that the Hokies lost. Uh, I think they lost him before the coaching transition, but he committed and then decided, you know what, I, I don't know about Virginia Tech's coaching situation. I don't even know if Bud Foster will be there during my career because they're probably going to change head coaches very, very soon. So he went with Notre Dame instead and and you can't blame him because I think that's that's fair to look, that's some that's a fair thing to look at if you're a recruit but he's another guy who could be starting a cornerback for Virginia Tech um and he's not 
So uh, I just think Notre Dame has more talent off the board. So Virginia Tech's going to have to win the turnover battle. That's generally what you – to pull an upset, you need to win the turnover battle. And this would be an upset if Virginia Tech won. And uh, you wanted three things? Or however many you have. That's all I got. Okay. <laughs> How about you, Will? So one of the more uh, under-the-radar stats from the Duke game was that uh, Duke only started one possession on Virginia Tech's side of the field, and it was at the 49-yard line. Virginia Tech also started only one possession, I believe, on the Duke side of the field. Um, because Duke Duke doesn't turn it over either. They threw one interception, and that was it. And, um, and that was a tipped ball, actually. Uh, I would like to see some sort of imbalance in Virginia Tech's favor in the special teams and turnover area. I think that's important. Um, I think that Virginia Tech, I think what, what you saw from Ryan Willis and the receivers in the Duke game, that needs to continue. Um, Great throws, guys making plays. Um, I do think VT needs to run the ball a little better. Um, and I, I think that uh, one of the things that worries me is that, you know, Duke's uh, front four and their, their linebackers had a good game against Virginia Tech. And, and I'm kind of worried about that. So to win, I think you need to win the turnover slash special teams battle, keep making plays on offense. And I think uh, – I, I don't think Virginia Tech's defense is going to stone – uh, Notre Dame's offense but when you have opportunities to get them off the field on third down do it particularly if it's a play where you you've got them in third and ten and you've got good coverage on their receivers don't let that quarterback get loose and, and run for 11 or 12 yards and pick it up anyway so so try to get them off the field on third down time for predictions my friends we've looked at your predictions before the season <laughs> and looking at it now where do you guys stand give me a winner and a score and why you came up with that you know uh we did make those preseason predictions without really looking at the other team i didn't know a thing about notre dame before the season started to be quite honest with you uh i i think higher of them now than i did before the season started yeah i agree with that i, I uh i don't know what i feel about virginia tech uh i I think Virginia Tech, what they sh- – Virginia Tech's a lot closer to the team they showed last week than, than the week before, right? Agreed. I mean, that ODU game, oh, my gosh. I, if, I think Whit Babcock could – that 12th game, if Virginia Tech doesn't play the AC title game, he should just get Old Dominion to come to Lane Stadium and we can have a rematch. Nice. But uh, I, I, I can't pick Virginia Tech in this game because Notre Dame has more talent and more experience. Um now, the good thing for Virginia Tech is they're 2-0 and this year when I've picked against them, and they're 2-0 and when Will's picked against them. Um, to me, it just comes down to talent and experience. And, and yeah, the games at Virginia Tech, I, I, don't, I don't think that matters as much these days. Um, I, just, I just think when you're Notre Dame, you're used to playing in front of big crowds and you're used to all eyes being on you. You're used to going into a stadium and everybody hating you. Um, so it's, it's going to be nothing new for them, in my opinion. Um, I think it'll be a pretty good game, but, uh, you know, I got it something like, I don't know, 31 to, well, I don't know, maybe 27-20, something like that. Although, we'll see. I, has Notre Dame allowed 20 points to anybody this year? I mean, their defense has been dominant. I mean, they shut down Stanford. Um, so, uh, I don't know. I, th- I think I think they're a very good team. I think they're the best team on Virginia Tech's schedule. At the beginning of the season, I thought it was Miami, but now I think it's Notre Dame for sure. All right, so I'm one in three picking games. The only one I got right was a William and Mary game. Um, <laughs> so if I want to do Virginia Tech any favors, I will not pick them to win. Um, have you got the stat there about uh, Notre Dame's road record against ranked teams 
it's something like four and twenty. Yeah, and uh, two of those wins were uh, one of them was at UCLA, at Temple, and the other ones at Temple. Um, and then there were a couple that were vacated from twenty twelve. Um, I'm, I don't, I don't. As a bit of a side tangent, I don't get into that vacated stuff. The game was played, and Notre Dame played against ranked teams, and they won it. Four and twenty is not a great number. Um, so if in if in the final analysis Virginia Tech wins, everybody will say, "Well, of course they won." You know, Notre Dame's not that great on the road against ranked teams. Um, I would uh, I would peg it at uh, Notre Dame with thirty five points, Virginia Tech with twenty seven. Um, but remember, I have not been good this year. There are years when I've been good, man, but not this year. So we'll see how it goes. There you have it. Will and Chris both going with Notre Dame for our predictions. All right, well, in just a moment, we're going to get to your mailbags. We have a lot of questions to go through. We actually did not do a poll question of the week this week because of how many questions you guys have. So we'll get to that in just a minute. However, I do think this is worth pointing out. You talked about next season's home slate of games for Virginia Tech, and there's not a Clemson or a Notre Dame or a true marquee matchup at home next year. With this being an 8 o'clock kick, could this, besides a Thursday night game, could this potentially be the last Saturday night 8 o'clock kick until 2020? Yeah, that, that's possible. Um, we'll see what happens with the Miami game. The Virginia game will be on a Friday, and they'll probably put it at night. But, right. yeah, I mean, as far as a big-time Saturday night atmosphere in Lane Stadium, uh, it could be. Uh, although you never know with the networks. It kind of depends on what, what you're up against. Like, I never would have thought the Virginia Tech-UNC game would be a night game, right? But it is. I never I wouldn't have thought the Virginia Tech-Duke would be a night game, but, but it was. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see. But as far as the anticipation of the fan base and everything like that, yeah, I mean, I think this is for sure. This, I don't, is, I don't, this is it for a couple of years. For a, I don't even know what the 2020 home schedule looks like, but uh, this will be it for a while for sure. All right, well, let's get into those hokey questions you guys had on Twitter. Thanks so much for tweeting at us, our hokey mailbag, a part of our Tech Sideline podcast towards the end of it every single week. All right, let's jump right into it. First question, we'll start with Will on this, coming from Stephen Smart. Stephen asks, how important is Divine Diablo to our defensive success? Just a coincidence that defense was exposed by ODU when he did not play. If, if you look at ODU, it's, it's clear he was very important. The adjustment Tech made was to move Khalil Ladler back to safety and put Devin Hunter in at whip, and that combination doesn't appear to work. So um, uh, I always I, I go back to open field tackling, and um, uh, Ladler's a good open field tackler. Reggie Floyd is. If they're the only two you have on the field, then – you know, that, that's not enough guys out there that can make plays in space. Devon Diablo adds another guy. And Jovan Quillen, if you play him. Chris, was he in a, like a nickel sort of situation? No, he was playing regular corner. Straight up corner. He was just huh? rotating with Farley and, and Watts. And yeah. uh, he's always been a good open field tackler. I mean, you've seen that on special teams. Yes, that's right. Um, so uh, it appears that Devon Diablo is very important. It also appears that moving him from receiver to safety was the thing to do because he had another ball hit him in the hands uh, <laughs> against Duke that he, that he didn't catch. Uh, but anyway, that, that's that's a short, quick answer, man. He's I think it at, on the on the data set we have, it threw off the entire defense, the entire back four to have him out of there. Yeah, I guess. Uh, I I still go back to the last two games last year, and Ladler started free safety, and the defense was fine. Do you think maybe he just wasn't prepared for I, ODU? Or but not nah, the info we got is that they knew 
days in advance that Diablo was going to be out. Yeah. Um, I just think everybody had a bad game. But, I think it's as simple as that. But was Ladler good in pass coverage in those games? Or I remember he seeing him in run support. He went up against Oklahoma State, yeah. and they didn't torch him. Okay, I'm, so, t- I'm thinking uh, more of the good, regular season enough. games. Yeah, and the thing is, free safety and, and whip from a coverage standpoint, I mean, you're lined up over a slot in both situations. You're on the wide side of the field in a lot of space. Um, they're, they're, they're actually fairly I, – I, I personally think whip – is, is more similar to free safety than Rover is. That's just my own personal opinion because they're both on the wide side of the field. All right, we've got two questions coming in next that kind of go hand-in-hand hand with each other. Mark Turner writes, would you continue to sub Hendon Hooker in for a play or two? And then Josh Wilson writes, is it worth pulling Willis here and there? And I think he had a typo when he's not in a groove. Of course, we've seen Hooker come in, had a big 67-yard touchdown run against William & Mary, came in for a couple of plays here and there the last two games. Thoughts on Hooker's progression and going to their questions? I mean, did they, did they ever gain more than one yard in any play Hooker was in against Duke? Uh, I don't think so. Right. I mean, when you see the backup quarterback rolling in, and he has a 69-yard touchdown to his credit, Guess what? You know he's going to run it if you're a defense. I'm not even thinking about the pass. If he throws it and I get beat, then I tip my cap. I'm selling out on the run. That's me specifically. That's that's what I think if I'm a defensive player. I, I wouldn't do it. I'm, I'm only in favor of it if they do something different. Yeah. You know, and, I, don't, I mean, Ron Willis can run the read option. He had a 30-yard run against against Old Dominion. As long as if he makes the right read – he, he's an effective read. And, and Willis, is, I was about to say, he's, he's a, and Coach Fuentes alluded to this as well, he's a pretty good runner for his yeah, size. Yeah. I think yeah. that might be more about him than Hooker. And, you know, let's get him a few plays here and there just so he's been in a college football game before in case something happens to Ryan Willis. But I wouldn't do that against Notre Dame, man. Every play is going to matter against Notre Dame. I, I would rather have – Willis slinging the ball 30 yards downfield than one read option play by by Hendon Hooker. And that's nothing against Hooker. I just think that when you bring in the backup quarterback, you know it's going to be a run. So we wouldn't do it. Okay, going to our next question from Chris. He writes in, what supplements does Coach Fu use to get jacked? <laughs> On the This Is Home podcast, Flowers and D. Hall were critical of the new cornerback techniques any thoughts on Coach Mitchell at this point said that Bud generally lets his position coaches teach and doesn't get in the way? Uh, I don't know what Foo's on, but I know he's got access to a good strength and conditioning coach over there. Yeah, so if you go look at my Twitter feed, at Will, at Will Stewart TSL, you'll see I put a picture up that, that had to prompt this question. I put a picture up there of Justin Fuente from 2016 and Fuente from 2018. He's bigger, and, and we had noticed it even and before. so is Zon Burton. That's not even close. Uh Chris Olin, he's a big lawyer in this area and also a big-time contributor contributor in our message board. So that was a good question from him. As far as techniques, we I, we ran it about that the last I, podcast. I, well, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Um, I think they played one bad game, and but at the same time, was anybody ranting and raving about the te- techniques last year when opposing quarterbacks completed fewer than fifty percent of their passes, and all three of Virginia Tech's cornerbacks from last year team made the NFL? I mean, was anybody complaining about the technique then? I think it's easy to complain about technique after you get torched by Old Dominion, but when we've shut down almost every other opponent the last two years, you, you don't you don't talk about it then? Um, so I think it's easy to say after a loss. I, I think if these guys are still struggling a year from now, then, yeah, maybe it's something to look at. But uh, I, I, don't, I don't see it as a big issue right now. So that's a mic drop on that one. I got nothing I can add. 
That's all right. Moving to our last question, we've got Richie Gallimore who writes in, where's our best chance or matchup to try and gain advantage against Notre Dame? Uh, How old are their corners? Their corners are, quote-unquote, only 5'11". It's not like they're 5'8", so they're not short. Um, They'll be in in a lot of man situations. Yeah. Um, Their linebackers are seniors. Their defensive line is really good. To me, it's it's, it's one-on-one matchups on the outside again. Yeah. But except their corners are better than than Duke's. So those plays are going to be more difficult to – to hit this week, and I don't know that Virginia Tech has a has any sort of matchup advantage defensively. You know, uh, no. No, nothing I can think of there. No, I mean this is a. I mean Notre Dame's a, a six point favorite in this game for, a, for a, a reason. For a reason, you know, and you can look at the numbers and say, yeah, they're better. But when you look at both teams on film and you study the matchups, I mean, I, I think Notre Dame is clearly the better team. Um, I mean, I could actually see them winning this game by double digits. I think Virginia Tech's going to have to play really well to win. Thanks so much to everybody for chiming in to our tech mailbag. Of course, we'll do that each and every week. We'll have the pullback uh, next week. But, again, so many people writing in. Want to make sure we gave the uh, the time that uh, they deserve to write in to, uh, for some questions. So thanks so much. All right, last thing we're going to do before we wrap things up. Will, you saw something on Twitter uh, and tweeted it out a couple of days ago, and it was an article from SB Nation uh, that covers Notre Dame. Yeah, the SB Nation Notre Dame site. And the headline of it is, Enter Sandman is trash and other reasons to stop fearing Blacksburg. And he goes into this long, basically what what that stat that we talked about earlier, Virginia Tech being 0-6 since 9 against teams at home. He has an opinion that Enter Sandman itself as a song is not that good of a song uh, and that teams really should not fear going into Blacksburg uh, anymore like teams used to back in the day. However, there was a great response by uh, by some random guy uh, on Twitter. Yeah. That, that's literally his Twitter name. I'm not just saying Some that. random guy. That's literally his name, <laughs> some random guy. And he tweeted back to you saying, now ask them what their recent record is versus ranked teams away from South Bend. It's not very good. Four in 20 with half the wins coming in 2012, which are now vacated. The other two, Temple in 2015, UCLA in 07. Thoughts on the article and the response from that random guy? It's a trash clickbait headline is what it is. It really wasn't that bad of an article. He mainly relied on facts and stats and the fact that he doesn't like the song Inner Sandman. He wasn't saying the entrance is trash. How could you watch that and not enjoy that as a college football fan? Uh, yeah, that's his opinion on the song. I like the song. I don't have a problem with the song. There's other songs I like, like Thunderstruck and, and Welcome to the Jungle and things like that. Not so big of a crazy train fan for use in sports. But uh, the guy makes some solid points about how Virginia Tech, and we talked about this earlier in the podcast, um, it's time to start winning some of these games, some of these high-profile games. Uh, you know, the stuff that Tech was good at back in the 90s and early 2000s, and they've gotten not so good at lately. Yeah, um, I, th- I think that's right. Um, if he doesn't like it or Sandman, that's fine. There's nothing we can do There's about nothing that. nothing we can do about his taste in music. I don't like Don't Stop Believing" by Journey. I'll admit it. I don't like the song. But, you know, I'm not going to write an article saying <laughs> – I don't know about any college football team that comes out to that as their interest. But if there was, I wouldn't write an article saying that it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, 
Uh, yeah, but like Will said, you know, you've got to start winning. Does, does Rutgers some maybe come out to that? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> that, that was, uh, trust me, everybody's not believing in Rutgers <laughs> at this point. If, if, if there was a program that was going to enter the field that don't stop believing by journey, it would be Rutgers. Yeah, it would. That's the line of the podcast right there from Will Stewart. Okay, all right, wrapping up that discussion and uh, moving into what's going on on TechSideline.com this week. Of course, you know, I, I, I got to give a shout-out to Corey. He continues to just pump out some great stuff for you guys, your football beat writer in his first season. I've really enjoyed reading all the content on TSL this week, but especially Corey, what else we have got going on? We'll have an Eric Carr article. I think probably another Brandon Patterson article. Those uh, are pre- our football analysts. Football analysts. Guys who break yeah. down film and stuff exactly like that. Exactly right. Uh, I think Eric is going to do an article on the defensive line. And uh, Brandon will be doing one. It's more of a let's break down Notre Dame and see what the Hokies are getting themselves into. I'll have my normal Friday Q&A on Friday also. Make sure to check it out. Hey, if you're not a subscriber, get off the fence. $8.49, just try it for one month. You can cancel. And as I've said before on the podcast, if you don't like it, email me. I'll give you your $8.49 back. So get off the fence and, and Man, you subscribe. sound like one of those television guys that's talking really fast and trying to sell his product. I need to say that earlier in the podcast. Yeah. Lastly, uh, big news coming out today. Head coach of wrestling, Tony Roby, got his contract extended to the 2022 in 23 year want to give a uh, congratulations to him he's been super friendly and willing to tsl for coming in and uh, talking to him and job well done on his just one year in his first full season congrats to him he's really doing a great job of making the program his own and doing something really special with it yeah uh two straight acc championships right um tournament championships yes, I don't, tournament I don't, championships. They, yeah. um i like what he's done with the regional training center i like the fundraising there um the, the guys on the wrestling on our wrestling board are an enthusiastic bunch, very positive. But from what I can tell, Roby's doing an excellent job recruiting, too. Um, so I like what he's doing with the program, and uh, I think that's well-earned, and I'm glad to see it. I think the previous staff was really good, which obviously he was a part of, but I think uh – I think he's improved the assistant coaches as well. So overall, better staff these days, in my opinion. Yeah, that's going to do it for this week's TSL. Hey, podcast. wait a minute! Now we got to do the. Uh... You're right. I apologize. There, of course, uh, we got to go inside the Twitter bio. Will Stewart. We said the lyric at the beginning of the podcast, which reads, "Somewhere in America, there's a street named after my dad." So that's a that's a little bit tricky of a lyric. Tricky because it's actually the title of the song. I don't usually do that. I usually pull the lyric from the song. Um, and you, and you got to wonder, I need to go Google this and see if there really is a street named after my dad. And I challenge all you guys to do the same. Uh, particularly if your dad's name Elm, then you're all set. So anyway, uh, that is a song by a group from the uh, ni- mostly 1980s called Was Not Was. And everybody knows Was Not Was because of their hit song Walk the Dinosaur, which is from 1988. Um, they are. They were reading from Wikipedia. Is an American pop group founded by David Weiss and Don Faganson, who adopted the stage names David Was and Don Was. And they they put out about four or five albums in the '80s. And uh, I own two of them. I own. Uh, let me look them up. And make sure I get the titles right. I own What Up Dog, which that song is from, and I also own Are You Okay. And if I could characterize Was Not Was, um, it like the the CD um, What Up Dog has about 15 songs on it. And they're just a really talented bunch of guys. I, I like the composition. The lyrics are clever. They have some songs that are just out and out funny. They have a song called uh, I Feel Better Than James Brown. And they do some 
spoken word stuff, you know, I, I can't recommend it enough. And if you want to start somewhere, start with the album What Up Dog. And that's what this song is from. And again, you'd know him from Walk the Dinosaur. If you've never heard that one, you can pull that one up on YouTube. So uh, that's my recommendation. And something I didn't know about the album What Up Dog, there's a song on that called uh, Wedding Vows in Vegas, which I've always really liked. Frank Sinatra sings it. So they had Frank Sinatra do a guest spot on one of their albums. I think it's a couple of guys that were really respected in the music industry as producers. Um, that most people don't know about. So that's my pitch for them. Give them a listen. Well, we'll be leading off the podcast with that next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to follow Tech Sideline on social media at Tech Sideline on Twitter and Facebook. For the head hot show and founder, Will Stewart, for our managing editor, Chris Coleman, my name is Evan Hughes saying so long. Enjoy the Notre Dame game this weekend. We'll talk to you next week right here on the Tech Sideline Podcast.